0: Turn to Titus, you'll find uh, the small letter of Titus tucked in the very back of your New Testament, just after 2 Timothy and just before the one-page letter of Philemon. As we pick up where we left off last week, we find ourselves in a part of Paul's letter to Titus that is wonderfully fitting today for Palm Sunday. It serves us well in our introduction to Holy Week as Paul focuses in on the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in this passage as we look today at verse 11 through 14. Let's consider the entire passage together and then we'll slow to dig into it. Titus chapter two, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, And Godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." God's good word for us this morning, church. In verse 11, Paul says to Titus, For the grace of God has appeared. When Paul says to Titus, The grace of God has appeared, what is he referring to? The appearing of God's grace. Well, it's a great reference to what we call the covenant of redemption. The covenant of redemption is the grace of God that God planned from eternity past to give to his chosen people. Consider with me this definition we find in our Word of Truth Catechism, question 56. What is the covenant of redemption? The covenant of redemption is the plan and decree made before creation between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to graciously redeem the chosen ones from sin and punishment based on the work required of Jesus. All of creation is set in the context of this divine plan. We see Paul speak to God's eternal plan to lavish on his elect people with saving grace. In places like Ephesians chapter one, consider these majestic and high words. Verse four through 10, even as he, the Lord, chose us, his people, in him, Jesus Christ, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses Praise God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, the next chapter. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Church, this is one of the high points in Holy Scripture when it comes to the clarity on this subject of God's grace. The Bible teaches us that salvation is entirely of grace. It's a word we use a lot, and it's important that we never play light with God's grace, and it's essential that we rightly understand His grace. We must understand what true grace is and what it isn't in order to combat the reasoning or ideals of fallen flesh so that we properly testify the gospel of our Lord Jesus to the lost in this important time He's given us under the sun. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. To help us embrace the beauty and the power of what Paul is reminding Titus here, church, slow with me to remember what is God's grace. Grace, simply defined, is unmerited favor. Said otherwise, it's an undeserved gift given by an unobligated giver. The Word of Truth Catechism tells us that saving grace is God's love, forgiveness, and redemption freely and effectively given in Jesus to the elect who are undeserving of this. First and foremost, see with me that God's saving grace is a gift. It is a gift from God and only a gift that God can give. For saving grace to truly be grace, two things must be true of it. Its recipients must not be deserving in any way of it. There's nothing in us that deserves it or it's not grace. The other thing is that its giver must not be obligated to give it in any way or it's not grace. These are the fundamental pillars that help us see the fullness of the gospel. First, God is not obligated to give His saving grace. Because we're in sin, what the righteous justice of God is obligated to give is wrath. Do our sin, justice, judgment. That's what we're due. Second, fallen mankind is not deserving to receive God's grace. Again, we deserve God's judgment and wrath rightly do our sin. We must fully and rightly see that God's grace is completely undeserved. To help us begin to do business with this, undeserved is like showing up on the job site and you just sit there your entire shift and don't lift a finger to work at all. This would mean then any payment your boss would give you would be completely undeserved. But church, we must see that it is far worse than this because we didn't just show up and do nothing. No, we showed up on the job site and worked our entire shift, tearing it apart degrading the work the boss called us to, the work the boss told us should be done, and our time was spent not just idle, but working against the owner of the company. When we see the way we performed in our sin as an enemy, as an anti-agent of God, Surely we don't deserve any payment or reward. Instead, we deserve to be fined. We deserve to be fired. We deserve to be thrown out. But God. But God's grace. Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once said it well, because God is gracious, Therefore, sinful men are forgiven, converted, purified, and saved. It's not because of anything in them or or that ever can be in them that they're saved, but because of the boundless love, goodness, pity, compassion, mercy, and grace of God, end quote. One of the most recorded songs of all time by the greatest number of different vocal artists is one you may have heard of. Amazing Grace. Written in 1779 by John Newton. The famous lyrics, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Church, God's grace truly is amazing. here's what makes God's grace that much more special is how God applies it to us. See, Paul says to Titus here, for the grace of God has appeared. God's grace, in other words, came near. It dwelt among us. Listen to how the apostle John speaks of this in his gospel, John 1, 14. And the word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, God the son, God eternal took on flesh, and lived among us fully man and fully God. God of the universe in a body like yours and mine. Wow. He dwelt among us. The word dwelt here means that he tabernacled. Dwelt here in in the Greek is to tent, to encamp. To occupy or reside, just as God did among his old covenant people in the tabernacle. Jesus pitched his tent on earth for 33 years. He took on flesh, lived without sin. Listen to John's emphasis and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace. And truth, The eternal glory of God was made manifest in the incarnation of Jesus, full of God's grace and truth. Now look down at verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The use of the word fullness here brings about a view of his absolute deity, in the same, it's the same word that Paul uses in his letter to the Colossians, chapter one, verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Then in chapter two, Colossians two, nine through 10, for in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. The glory is overflowing in its fullness with grace and truth. And in it, we who are his chosen people receive grace upon grace. So, church, now with all that under your feet, listen to the massive, game changing. Truth that Paul speaks to Titus in the opening words of our passage, Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared. Praise God, amen? The grace of God has appeared. He has appeared. God's grace is made known in Jesus Christ. Consider a sweet layer by which this is played out on Palm Sunday over 2,000 years ago. Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day on the back of a lowly colt. Gospel of John chapter 12, 12 through 15. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Church, the grace of God has appeared. And it is on this Palm Sunday, 2023, that we celebrate the arrival, the incarnation, the appearing of God the Son, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. Salvation has come. Hosanna in the highest. To so better appreciate this, understand that our English word we read in our English translation here, Hosanna. It comes from a Greek word, Hosanna, which comes from interpretation of a Hebrew phrase, Yashinah. That Hebrew phrase is found in one place in all of the Old Testament. Psalm 118, verse 25 where it means save us please to cry to God for help. Like when someone falls into a pool who's unable to swim and they're gasping for air and crying out, help, save me. Yashuna, Yashina. Psalm 118 25 says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. But church, something happened to that phrase, Yashina, and its meaning changed. In the psalm, it was immediately followed by exclamation, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The cry for who would come help save us, yashinah, Was answered almost immediately in this text before it even comes out of the psalmist's mouth. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And over the centuries, the phrase Yashinah stopped being a cry for help in the ordinary language of the Jews and instead it became a shout of hope and exultation. Instead, It used to mean save, please. It gradually came to mean salvation, salvation, salvation is here. It's appeared, it's come. It used to be what you would say when you fell into the pool and couldn't swim, but it came to be what you would say when you saw the lifeguard coming to save you. Yashana, salvation is here. It's the bubbling over of a heart That's full of hope and joy, the presence of salvation. So when we sing, church, Hosanna on a day like today, it means salvation is here, salvation has appeared. Praise God listen to all of what Paul is saying right here in just the opening part of our text Titus 2:11 for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people as we look at the second part of the verse let me be quick to clarify Paul is not endorsing some kind of heresy of universal salvation Scripture, all of Scripture, needs to interpret Scripture so that we don't read verses like this out of context. Scripture is clear that not all people are saved. Scripture is clear that God has set his wrath on those due his wrath because of their sin, that he only has chosen some to be saved. Jesus didn't literally come to save all of mankind, meaning every human being. No, God's word is clear that God has chosen an elect people of every tribe, tongue, and nation to save for himself. It is a worldwide people, but it is not every person. The doctrine of limited atonement clarifies importantly Christ's work on the cross was not done for every human to ever live, rather it was done exclusively for God's elect, whom are chosen people from throughout human history and who represent every tribe, tongue, and nation. In doing this, Christ accomplished substitutionary atonement for his chosen ones by canceling the debt of all of their sin, appeasing God's holy wrath, and earning all the benefits of their salvation. Scripture is clear to teach this. Not a a drop of Jesus' blood was wasted on someone to whom it did not apply to believe that is to not understand Scripture, not understand the perfect will and work of God who makes no error. God has chosen sheep whom he has come to save. This does not include all people, but it does include all kinds of people. Listen to Jesus' words in John 10, 25 through 28. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I will give them eternal life, And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The grace of God, church, has appeared to save God's elect. This is completely his right, as he is Lord over all things. This is Paul's point, important point in Romans chapter 9 21 through 23. Paul makes this case. He says, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Praise God for his mercy. It's only the arrogance of man that we would turn to the holy God and say, God, why don't you just save all of us? No, when I understand the holy perfection of God and the wretched guilt of man in our sin, the right question, the right question, Awe would be to say, God, I'm amazed that you save any of us. For we are all rightly deserving of his wrath. We all need the atonement of the Savior. The good news is that Jesus appeared and the grace of God meant salvation for all of his chosen people. Matthew one twenty one. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Before we move into verse 12, church, Paul speaks of Jesus' saving work in the final part of our passage. So skip down with me to the last part of verse 13 and 14. We'll move our way back in a minute. The last part of verse 13 and 14 of Titus 2 the Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Church, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our savior. He gave himself up to redeem us. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood. In Jesus alone, we can have redemption. Please know you cannot self-redeem yourself. Jesus alone is the mighty redeemer. To best appreciate this, redemption is a word we need to better know and understand. B.B. Warfield once said it like this, there is no one of the titles, there is no one of the titles Of Christ, which is more precious to Christian hearts than Redeemer. This is because Redeemer is the name specifically of Christ of the cross. Wherever we pronounce it, the cross is the placard before our eyes, and our hearts are filled with loving remembrance not only that Christ has given us salvation, that He paid a mighty price. For it. See, redemption in the general use of the word means deliverance, but that's without reference to the mode in which that deliverance is accomplished. Redemption, when talking about the work of Christ on behalf of his people, is always to be understood in the strictest sense of deliverance by ransom. A ransom is a payment paid for the release of a prisoner. To appreciate this, we must understand the prisoners we are in sin outside of Christ. All the human race after the fall of Adam is imprisoned because of sin. Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. King David lamented the reality of our condition and our fallen human nature. Psalm 51.5, David says, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. not only were we in sin at conception but we gone we went on to sin as we lived our lives not only do we have the the sin of our forefather our federal head adam that has passed through the seed of man therefore we are all conceived in sin we go on to sin we go on to get Really good at sinning. Isaiah 53 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Bible is clear that mankind, apart from Christ, is enslaved to sin, enslaved in bondage due to corruption. Titus 1.15, last chapter we were in, to the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are corrupted. So now hear Paul's words to Titus again in the end of 13 and 14. Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Oh, how truly and fully lawless were we. Guilty. And nothing we did was righteous. Even the good stuff we did, Scripture said, was filthy. Because even the good stuff a sinner apart from Christ does is not done to the glory of God. Therefore, it's wretchedly sinful. Hear Ephesians 1.7 again and let it launch you to high praise and utter gratitude to God for in him we have redemption through his blood. Ransom from our imprisonment. He paid a high payment to ransom us, to redeem us. In Jesus only we have redemption, deliverance, Ransom through his blood. If you can hear my voice and you have yet to trust your life to Jesus as Savior and Lord, then hear this most vital truth this morning. You can only be ransomed from your imprisonment to sin. You can only be delivered from what your sin earns you which is eternal death and punishment, you can only be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Confess your sin before the holy God today to see your utter need for Jesus the Savior and give your life to him. Die to yourself and live to Christ the rest of your days for his glory and no longer your own. To the Christian, the good news of God's saving grace in your life is that you are redeemed. Galatians 4, 4-5, through But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Oh, how I want you to understand and hold so high your redemption in Christ. Each of us saved by Jesus' blood shed in our place, you have been redeemed. Think about it. This is your story of redemption. I mean, think about amazing tales you've heard when someone has shared about being ransomed from imprisonment, from enslavement. From certain doom, a great sacrifice was made. A high price was paid for freedom. And you just say, amazing, what a story. Christian, that's your story. The one who freed you, who paid your ransom is the son of God. Titus 2 13 and 14, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Paul says that we are redeemed from lawlessness because of Christ. We are purified so that God can have us as his own possession. Christ not only pays for our sin, he not only saves us from our sin, he gives us his righteousness so that we are seen by the holy God as righteous, as pure, as holy. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, God, made him, Christ, who knew no sin, perfect without sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the doctrine of Imputation. Imputation speaks of what we are credited. It means the righteousness that you are judged by is not yours, Christian. It belongs to Christ, but it's applied to you. The righteous veil, the pure clothing that God sees on you belongs to Jesus. It's imputed to you. His righteousness is not infused into us, It's not performed by us, it's imputed. It's laid upon us like a garment. So when the holy God looks upon us, he sees the perfection, the purity of Jesus, and he calls us his own. This is the gracious work of a holy God who loved us, put his grace upon us, and saved us to be his own beloved kids of grace. 1 Corinthians 6.11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Church, in our salvation and rebirth, there is a holiness, a sanctification, so that the holy God receives us into his holy presence to know and to love and to cherish now and forever. Praise God for his gift of sanctification in us. But don't miss this important truth. Not only is his righteousness imputed to us for salvation, it is now the new longing of our hearts. He gives us a new heart. This is an essential part of our new birth. Prophesied in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 it says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The grace of God... The sun's appearing is not only to save us, but it is to sanctify us. That word sanctify means to make more and more holy. To make us more and more like Christ. And this is Paul's emphasis to Titus in verse 12. Look back there with me now. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is what we call progressive sanctification, progressive work of God in the redeemed and regenerated man or woman that helps us to fight sin, to fight the temptations of the flesh and to not stay where we are, but to mature in our faith, to mature in our obedience and become more and more like Christ. This is an ongoing work of God. It is a sanctification that is a constant, a progressive renewing of the whole man where the new creature is empowered by the Holy Spirit to make war with the flesh. This is why Christians should not ever say, I'm just a sinner, I'm just this way, I'm never, I'm never going to change. This is just who I am. That's not gospel language in the redeemed. You've been empowered by the Spirit to fight your flesh, to confess your sin, to receive the admonishment of a brother or sister to point out your sin humbly and to agree with them this is sin and to long for what honors the Lord, to say thank you for loving me. Now walk with me as I look to honor the Lord. You, you're given a new longing, not to justify yourself, but to confess your sin and honor the Lord. There's a power given us in the Spirit to overcome our stuff in a way we never had before we were saved. This is the work of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, changing us from a self-centered person that really constantly is thinking and speaking of myself, turning me into an other-centered person, changing you from one who is depressed about your life to one who is joyful not because your circumstances have changed, but because you have Christ. Refining you from one who has always had something to complain about to the one who has something to testify about how Christ is at work for his glory and for our good. That's what's on our lips. Replacing your old misplaced affections with righteous affections so that it is clearly seen that God is your prize and serving him is your privilege. Malachi 3, one through six talks about God is a refining fire. A refiner's fire's purpose is to refine. It purifies, it refines, it separates out the impurities that ruin its value. It burns them up, it leaves the silver and gold intact, but now more valuable and useful than it was before its refinement. This is our gift in the spirit of progressive sanctification. This is the change God wants us to be constantly in as we abide in the vine and he changes us from the inside out to produce the fruit of the spirit. This is what Paul's saying here when he says he's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So if you are constantly caught up in some kind of vice of your flesh, some kind of addiction, some kind of, man, I just can't seem. Don't speak of yourself as one who is unable. Yeah, you by yourself are unable, but Christ in you is not. Amen? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Right? The Lord didn't give you some half-baked Holy Spirit. You have all of the Holy Spirit, Christian. Let him go to work. Abide in him and let him change you. Paul says here that his training in us means renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions and instead we live self-controlled That's a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. We live upright lives in this present age that honor the Lord. Uh, Paul gave a really wonderfully beautiful visual of this in in a couple places. One is Romans 6. Listen to this. Romans 6, 1 through 14. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right, that's the pathetic Catholic view that, oh, no, I can just keep sinning. I just go and ask for some more forgiveness. I go say some Hail Marys. And, no, no, no. We don't continue in sin, freely, casually, and then so grace can abound. No, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you know how, do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is why we can no longer say, oh, this is just who I am. This is how my daddy raised me. That's not, no, no, that's not who you are in Christ. We would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And and hear this: this is so critical. It says in verse 12 do not let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Your members, your body, your eyes, what are you looking at? Your hands, what are you you touching? Your, Your mind, what are you thinking about? What are you longing for? Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Praise God that Christ in us means we are now dead to sin and no longer slaves to it. Jesus is training us, refining us, maturing us. Galatians 5.1, Paul says it this way, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Oh, Christian. He gives you a new day to wake up and put on righteousness, to put on the new uniform. He transferred you to his team. So why then do we wake up and go to the bottom of the hamper and pull out that thing that's so stank and foul you can hardly be near it, and we dress in that stuff? That's the old uniform. Galatians 5, 16 through 26, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, Now the works of the flesh are evident. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Church, praise God for his work in us for freedom from our former slavery, amen? The work of the Spirit. Let us not use our freedom to go back and put on the chains of our old sinful masters and give ourselves to our lustful passions and and emotional reasoning. Let us abide in Christ, cling to Christ, treasure Christ in such a way that he changes us from the inside out to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Praise be to God for his work in and through us. While we grow in sanctification and make much of Christ, we wait. We wait. Praise God that one of the fruit of the spirits is patience. It's one, it's, it's one of the biggest things as I'm abiding in Christ and praying that he would produce in me. And, and, and praise God that the more I abide in Christ, the more patience he gives me. Can we be reminded of that, Christian? You don't grow in more patience by trying to be more patient. You don't grow in more self-control by trying to squeeze out the fruit of self-control. That's the work of you. You abide in Jesus, the vine, and he produces, the spirit produces, the fruit of the spirit of patience, self-control. Love, gentleness. While we grow in sanctification and make much of Jesus, we wait. We wait for Christ's return. We wait in blessed hope, in living hope. Look with me at the beginning of verse 13 as we wrap up this morning. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, we have great hope of living in active hope because Jesus has finished his saving work on our behalf and he is resurrected from the grave as we'll celebrate next Sunday in a uniquely special way. We celebrate it every Sunday, but next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Because God is truth, and all of his promises will be done, we rest and we walk and we wait in living hope. Not kind of hope, not sleepy hope, living hope. Love the words, as you know, church, from 1 Peter 1, three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. How is it protected? How is it kept? How strong are its security guards who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, amen? Our hope is in Christ who is victorious, who reigns on high, who is coming again to take all of us who belong to him to glory. Christian, Christian, we win, we win. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever has you down whatever way you're letting your flesh have its way, whatever is hard, whatever that you're going through that feels very unjust, you win in Jesus Christ. All of this, all of that, all of that is to serve him, to make much of his gospel despite what we're in. like to remind you that sometimes it's in your toughest stuff that the gospel is brightest in you. Why? Because when the lost world looks at you, they don't see your fleshly circumstantial reasons for joy. It makes I mean what you're going through is crazy hard, but they see joy and they go, "How? Why?" And you get to give them Jesus. You get to tell them about why you are joyful in Jesus. And in the meantime, we wait and we hope in him. Hebrews 9, 28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. Church, we must wait patiently. We must remain full of hope, not in our circumstances, but in him. And I close with this. Listen to Jesus' words in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Hosanna. Salvation has come. Hosanna in the highest. Stand to your feet with me and let's sing these words and celebrate these truths. To our great God, pray with me as we prepare to sing. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. Father, we we come before you, you who are holy, you who are worthy, you who are the creator, the sustainer, and the ruler of all things. Who are we? We are nothing in the shadow of you. You are worthy. All of this is yours, and yet you've chosen to make us something in Christ, to redeem us from our guilt and shame, to purify us in the power of the blood of Jesus, and to sanctify us in the work of the Spirit, and give us these days to serve you, to make much of you. Oh God, I pray that whatever way we've been confounded or losing sleep or worried about the temporary things not going the way we want, that we'd be reminded this morning of the eternal things, of the blessing to know the Redeemer and therefore to be your precious possession. Salvation has come. Hosanna in the highest May we be bright in our testimony of these things and may you be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.